Hello Deha, welcome to the Flourishing Practitioners Podcast, where we talk all things about space holding, caring for our clients and succeeding in our businesses. We explore the wisdom from coaches, counsellors and healers. My name's Gabrielle Walker and I'm so honoured that you're here. Let's dive in. Hey beloveds, this episode is with Merodao and she is a divine human being, an absolute goddess. I really enjoyed this discussion. It's an awesome, beautiful journey of synchronicity, actually, how we met. We met on a focus mate session, which is a body doubling or a co-working online space. And I've never ever been matched with anyone who lives in Perth before, but we both happened to be in Perth and Mira just happened to have returned from a Vipassana session. And for those who know about me, I began doing Vipassana when I was around 24 and it's been quite a life-changing practice. I don't practice it as strictly as they recommend, but Many of the philosophies and thoughts that I learned and that I've processed or insights that I have had at different meditation retreats have been life-changing for me. And I'm releasing a poetry book really soon. And some of those poems were written on one of my retreats. Keep it quiet and hush-hush because you're not meant to have a journal, but I did sneak one in. One of the things I really loved about my discussion with Mira is that We have very similar practice backgrounds and have arrived at similar but different spaces. We both are counsellors. We've both done and continue to do a lot of embodiment work. We both see the world through the body and energy and flow. And I love how since this time I've had the blessing of connecting with her in a number of ways, even though I've only met her once in the physical where we ran into each other at Third World Cafe in South Fremantle Beach. Uh, But I know that she'll be someone that I will connect with a lot more. And her energy for me is that the goal, it's a goals. It is this deep understanding of our healing journey genuinely being for the purpose of becoming healthier and holding that energetic of health in our energy field and reminding others with deep presence and awareness and softness, but also strength that growth and expansion embodiment is possible because someone else has achieved that and is living that and is showing us how re-listening to this again. I felt inspired to pick myself up in a few ways that I've been feeling low lately and it's, it's so nourishing when something from the past can come back and, and do that. I also noticed on listening back that there was a few places where I wish I had honoured the depths that she went to and what she was sharing. I didn't pick it up at the moment. Yeah, Mira, if you are listening back, I'm so grateful that you journeyed this journey with me and that you opened up to that liminal space that between space that space of creation I truly believe this was an inspiring and a game-changing discussion and for that I am so grateful to other people listening know that these discussions are being held to serve us as a community to work out some of our thoughts as practitioners and people and humans we all come in with different background experiences with different programs around the way we hold pain and the way we hold processing and the way energy flows in the body, the way we hold mental health. And it's each person's responsibility and journey with that. No one knows the one answer to anything and different things will serve us at different times. So I really ask 
for this podcast and for all podcasts going forward, that you keep that in mind, that we are showing and sharing from that space of wanting to share different narratives that we are actually having as practitioners behind the scenes. Every discussion is an invitation for you to examine your own beliefs, your own thoughts, and to consider different perspectives. And I hope that these discussions serve that. This was recorded in September 2022, so a year ago. So I'm sure that lots of things of how Mira sees the world and how I see the world have changed. But having said that, I think this is a nourishing and beautiful conversation and I'm so excited to introduce her to my community and I hope that you connect with her words, our words, and that I'm sure she'll be back on the podcast later soon. So I'm really honoured to be connecting with you and you're an embodiment and resilience coach, also training as a counsellor and have heaps of experience doing yoga, somatic work drew me to connecting with you was our shared history of Vipassana and also embodiment work and really wanting to dive into that. Uh, yeah, I would love to invite you in the first instance to explain where you're at with your work at the moment. I know for me it shifts a lot how I describe it. So how would you describe what you do right now? Great question. I am describing it as a journey into embodied living really helping people to tune into the wisdom of the body, to understand the wisdom of the body in ways that make sense to them and to use that information to build resilience in their lives, to be able to use that intelligence to help them meet the ups and downs and challenges and stresses and pressures in a way that feels really authentic and good to them. Through that journey, healing, growing, aspiring, connecting. That's right now the very first time I've ever said it like that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like what I say changes all the time depending on who I'm talking to and how it's coming through because it's sort of like, well, I don't know if you feel the same, but for me, I feel like we're a vessel for whatever needs to be tra- traveling through, but there's like key themes that journey through us. But this is something that I'm curious about that for you, what the meaning of resilience is because mm-hmm. I know just a little bit of backstory about my curiosity about it. It's a term I used a lot for, say, like Aboriginal communities. And I've always felt like we should have more aspirations for people than resilience. But maybe I'm understanding the term wrong and there's there's a different meaning behind it. I think it's a great question. I noticed, so having conversations with people in my community online, face-to-face, in person, and exploring that term, because for me that term has a really positive connotation. And I know for some people it can feel like a command to just shut up and put up with shit. Like it can feel like that's what it is. And to me it's really not. So I think the person whose work most speaks to me in the most uplifting way around resilience is a woman in the States called uh, Dr. Ariel Schwartz. I equate resilience with flexibility. So I've got a really long history of yoga, Siddham Sukham Asanam, which is strength and softness in posture. And so to me, resilience is about having that capacity to go where you need to within yourself, within your body, to flow. So there's flexibility and flow in life. We want to participate. 
You know, we want to participate in community and connection in our world, I believe, fundamentally as humans. And yet when there's damage to the body, the nervous system, the psyche, it often becomes either too hard and rigid and inflexible or too soft and collapsed and not really capable of anything. And not that those experiences should never come into your reality, but the capacity to move in and out of them and back and forth in the ways that your system needs and in the ways that really support you to meet life and its challenges and its realities is a really helpful skill to have. That's what I would, how I would frame resilience. Beautiful to hear. One of the beautiful things I really love about yoga philosophy is that emphasis on that weaving between both and accepting both the joy. It's not just that manifestation aspect or, or like that, oh, think positive thing, but it's also like everything's present. And so in everything being present, where can you find that place of steadiness, allowing yourself to swing? Well, I've, I've always really resonated with that, that, that sort of teaching. So I hear you in that. Um, maybe I've still got a little bit of work to do around the term. <laughs> well, I can imagine why. You know, if you've had that term used in certain ways in certain contexts to mean certain things and to actually disempower people or to command, that's what I hear in it is, you can be strong because it's not just about strength. This is yeah, 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 you can yeah. be strong enough to tolerate anything. Yeah. It's not about strength and tolerance. It's about flexibility and flow. So there's this capacity to you might need to bend, for example. I love the image of bamboo. You might need to bend away from something, but I can bend away with something without becoming rigid or flopping to the ground in the face of it. Yeah, no, I really resonate with that that imagery. We'll stay on the yoga track for a while, but how yoga has been used on the positive, the positive thinking route, but also where where that thinking places us. Sometimes there's really vulnerable people who are looking to heal and shift, and, and what yeah, what what comes up for you in that? Great question, Gabrielle. I mean, you and I, you you referenced it a little bit before we came and chat about the toxic, the cult of toxic positivity, and this sense of it's such it's in all these things there's such a fine line right and such a need for balance where yes you want to have the access to positive experiences and states but in a way that allows for the truth of your experience i'm going to circle around and come back to answer your question because this is it's asking to be said when we're talking about healing having been through difficult circumstances, again, back to Ariel, she calls it the experience of moving into resilience after trauma, post-traumatic growth, right? So we we know that some people can go through these experiences and metabolise them in a way that allows them to expand. Maybe they become more compassionate. Maybe they do become stronger. You know, that journey is unique and individual. And I think that the tendency in the yoga community, and it's shifted recently, I definitely think there's more awareness of this, but in the past, certainly going back nearly 10 years ago for me now, there was a real peak of this kind of bliss chasing experience. I think that's been common in the spiritual world as well for a long time and that that is the ultimate goal 
you know, for spiritual enlightenment or whatever it is, is to feel happy all the time and live in this blissed out state where nothing's wrong and everything's okay. And people have found, and same in the coaching world, with, with cognitive strategies, just focus on the positive. And people, myself included, it just didn't work. One, it didn't work. And secondly, was this experience of being, it didn't work because it didn't meet me where I was. It didn't validate my experience, my human experience that is still present and lives within that divine container, right? And that's been my observation and then what I love about the whole embodiment work and the biology of the nervous system is really helping us I think to ground in the human and to blend that with these other experiences and and I don't I sometimes don't know if it's because I've evolved over the 12 years you know or if if the 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 landscape has shifted Mm -hmm. So there's sort of this aspect of desiring to speak to the boundaries of where I'm at in my own exploration rather than, but also naming where I came from. If someone's there and we can speed up the not going through all that. And and then the thing I was most curious to speak to you about, which really is on my boundary, I think, is that that Vipassana or or yoga because they're both both similarly present. And they've all woven together, the combination of that with the embodiment aspect. And for those who don't know about me, I started practicing Vipassana, I think I was 24, the first time I went to a Vipassana retreat, and I've done around 12. Um, I haven't done it many for the last few years, um, but they're 10 days um, where you don't talk pretty much the whole time except an opportunity to talk to the teacher two times one or two times a day depending on the center that you're at and that's pretty much all that you would talk for the nine or ten days and the rest of the time from around 4 20 I think the bell goes in the morning till nine at night you're meditating for one to two hour periods with little breaks in between oh and your food's provided everything's gifted to you which I think is such a beautiful gift and then you meditate so obviously if you don't talk and you start to shut down different parts of yourself, other bits can come up. And so for, so for me, I found it a beautiful practice and also opened up so much in how I understood somatics and my own spirituality and my own self. But yeah, I'd love to hear, I guess my first question would be, What's your practice been with Vipassana? How have you found it? So this was this was the buzz of our initial connection, right? right with this and this boundary, as you said, between what I've received from that practice and maybe where it doesn't fit anymore, and what's this inquiry and why? And um, so, so I have so much to say about this. I feel a lot of energy as well. I didn't realize you had gone so young. I was uh, similarly, I think I was twenty one when I did my first one, and I've done about maybe eight since then over the years I didn't practice I did two back then and then stopped and then kind of circled back around I was like okay this is my practice and then I did a whole bunch more for me at 21 I came from a background of pretty disrupted childhood and I had I wouldn't have had this language for it back then but I was very very depressed and unhappy and confused and struggling to make sense of myself to make sense of the world 
And Vipassana opened me up to possibilities, what it could feel like to feel okay. You know, I, I touched that. I, I saw so much about what was possible in terms of the states of my consciousness that I had no idea. And I had my first experience of touching into the inner world, like deep, deep, deep in my being of this contented joy that was present there that didn't need anything that was just like okay I'm alive and I engage with the world from this deep core center of my being it also taught me so it's so interesting the circling around into somatic work now and this is the this is the real question I have and what I think it taught me to it teaches you to observe sensation right as you know and so it taught me how to notice sensation in my body but I would say it did not teach me to connect with sensation in my body I think I was born to work in embodiment like I've always processed things somatically since tiny 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 I was dancing to the um the rhythm of the bellows that my mum would use to light the fire in yeah this village in India where I was born she'd be like squeak 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 and I'd be dancing you know Everything, I hear things, I, I process it in my body. I play music, I process it in my body. A friend of mine said, he's like, Mira, it's like you can't digest the world or process the world unless you're kind of moving towards it, you know, like it's my body that experiences things. And so the Vipassana practice was incredibly natural for me in some ways because of that, because I loved to be present to my sensations. What I noticed was that maybe the historical context of it, you know, as I think from where I am now and look at it, whatever, the different ways it's been communicated, for me there was a coldness in that observation, right? There's a distance in that observation from just witnessing, oh, there's a sensation, but I'm not going to be with it, right? I'm just going to be neutral towards it. And I understand that, okay, you know, from a Buddhist philosophical perspective, not to react either way. But from a trauma healing perspective, I was like, well, that's what that's what happened to get me in this place mess in the first place is I had all these experiences that were not met, that were not resonated with. There was no warmth. There was no being with. There was cold, no criticism to my parents. They had their own experiences and reasons why that wasn't possible for them. But that being left alone as a human with your experiences not being met is what creates the, in my opinion, the traumas, the sense of aloneness, the sense of something missing deep in our being and in our bodies. And so to a certain extent, the practice was just recreating that experience for me in my body. Yeah, I really resonate with that. I feel in terms of the context of people who know me for, for practicing body healing, I had my first one was intensely powerful, but I also had this experience where um, my people and all my ancestors were visiting me throughout the meditation, mm. and that was quite overwhelming because I hadn't had them visit me in that precision, I guess because I'd closed, you know, I, I a lot of the mental chatter that I had at that time, which I had a lot then, um, but I just wasn't aware, you know. I, I was sort of there. I was just following myself um, there. So I did it in New Zealand even though I was living here. So I was back home on land 
receiving those ancestral messages through. And I took that to the teacher and they basically told me it was my imagination. And they say throughout the training, you know, give it a chance. So I really did for that one. I, I decided mm-hmm. to just follow it exactly. So it's, a, it's like a mixed feeling. So I'm really proud of myself that I could feel piercing pain in my body and find a place in my mind that I could sit with that. But that's not something I would want to encourage in in my clients or myself or us as human beings to be able to withstand that amount of pain, but to know that you can is also really powerful. So I think I think that that, that sort of pain thing, that's one of those spaces where I'm at odds <laughs> with the practice because I've learned so much through those sorts of experiences to know like each time I sat the pain got less but that Mm. first time it was like and I I don't really like talking about the pain because I want people to go as well and have their own experience (laughs) but but that's what's coming up now is is that that would that's been one of the things that didn't sit with me but also is a part of my our practice now and the somatic work that we do it's like really deep body work and and we're we're asking people to feel pain to shift and heal mm. the emotion we're asking them to feel physical pain to shift and heal the emotional pain to connect with that pain mm. but I don't think in Vipassana that particular process is being shared so now but they're saying observe it and the observation shifts it but there's not the connection like for mm. me I found Rumi Rumi um, which is our practice and, and yoga practice and dance and I really related when you said that um, that you're born to experience the world through the body like I feel that like I feel like I'm born to experience the world through all the senses and like all the emotions mm-hmm. I'm just happy all of it for us at all because that's what I feel I'm here for I didn't even know if it's through the body or somatic but that's the thing that lights me up the most there's this aspect of that's made my work more powerful that I gained from that teaching of Vipassana. And then there's also, I remember when I served and you're allowed to read the texts when you mm-hmm. serve, and I was reading it and it just hit me. I was like, but that how that 10 days is literally the first step of the whole Vipassana practice. Because mm-hmm. when you read through the text, they are going into the other places. But where I think it's valuable is that all the other practices go here missing this step. Mm. Ah, interesting. In Māori practice, a lot of people, there is this aspect of a higher sense of spirituality, like someone once said to me, like, all oh, Māori think we're ghostbusters, you know? Like, we are, we are connected, we have a lineage and a cultural consciousness Beautiful. and a way of thinking of the spirit world that we we grew up with from a young age but our the connection to our body is is mm. is growing more now but wasn't always present and, mm. and I think that's through the trauma I believe that's through the trauma historical trauma I just I'm sitting with what you said and digesting because I I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about the pain because after many, 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 Doesn't I mean, every single one's different, right? But generally, like, you can sit more easily and, and the kind of basic pains. But I do remember there is an empowerment, right, in that experience of knowing that I can experience pain 
without it hurting me mm. in a way, you know, that dual experience. And yet, like you said, it's I think it comes back to that razor fine distinction and balance. When are you doing that in a way that is liberating and empowering? And when are you doing it in a way that is, you know, egoic in more traditional spiritual terms and kind of just pushing away the reality of your human experience, right? And just riding over what's true and deep and needed and nourishing and real for your body. It's an interesting sort of thing to play with because I think you're right in the sense that for myself as well, I think myself as coming into the field of somatics and understanding the nervous system and embodiment and felt sense, having all years of practicing, right, of just noticing sensations, noticing sensations and not reacting to them has given me a depth to the understanding of that that I would not have had, absolutely no doubt would not have had. And I have noticed in working with people that even teaching them, like that, sometimes people do not have at all a somatic awareness, a sense of what does it feel like from the inside in my body? I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to even contact it. And yet there's also, there's the capacity for override, right? In when we work with people for a healing purpose of touch the pain with your beingness, be with it, allow it, et cetera, et cetera, without necessarily turning away from it to allow energy to move through, to allow healing. The concept I really like in somatic experiencing and Peter Levine's work is that pendulation and the titration. So teaching people rather than stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it until it's so big and it's crushed you potentially, touch it, then allow yourself to move away so that flexibility or resilience to move away a little bit, have some space from it and come back in just in doses that are manageable for you where you are right now. And then we find that those periods get longer. Oh, when I come in close to it, I can stay there longer. Okay, that break out from it isn't as long. The pure magic of life. I'm having a treatment session this afternoon. <laughs> so <I'll- laughs> I've got one scheduled as well. <laughs> On the very first Vipassana that I did, as it kind of opened things up, on every level, I started to perceive the world. Everything was bright, yeah. I I was standing. I could see the little hairs on the backs of these ants. I was talking to the trees. I was like so deeply and everything was bright. I did have, and I I remember thinking, whoa, after my first somatic experiencing treatment, I walked out into the park, same. Oh, this is like coming out of a bhajana. Like everything's intensified, right? When the patterns of the body and what's stuck has been, there's been. I think that when vipassana was developed as a system and a technique, we didn't have the level of chronic stress in the system, in the human bodily system that we do now. So going in and being with sensations back then and the nervous system back then is not the same. People's nervous systems, the level of what is kind of baseline for people today, given how often it's activated into fight, flight and freeze and all the different states and how much intense sensory overload we have in modern culture, I don't think we're coming with the same baseline to that practice. That's the big difference, I think. 
Yeah, it's really interesting to ponder. And even if maybe the collective consciousness is a little bit different, so the different layers that you're, you're connecting into through the practice, like you are connecting in, but there's also other things that fly around in that process. So that neutrality has become central to how I teach um, Māori healing as well. But I use Māori terms, but I, I see... I don't see it as neutrality as it's discussed in Buddhism, which I, I feel can sometimes be a push away. Mm-hmm. So it can some, and, and that's not how, as I listen now, I hear it when I listen to different philosophies and teachings, but it's how I heard it when I was at that phase of my development. And when I was at that phase of my development, what I was hearing when I heard neutrality was basically if you have thoughts, push them away. Don't give them any thought. If you have feelings, push them away. So there's a, there's a, almost a rejection of emotion or of thoughts or things, whereas now I view it more like a, a nuance of a nuance of an invitation that I can either invite in or like let it go on. So I do see thought. I do now see thoughts and feelings and emotions as passing through. I don't see them as mine. And, and where they're getting stuck in the body, which is why the somatic process is important, is when I take it on as only it is me. Mm. Yet the the way I work with that's changed from my understanding initially. I'm speaking from a practitioner perspective, but if we can hold hold that neutrality and really know that that person is processing their own somatic thing, it's nothing to do with us at all. We're literally the, the bridge or the vehicle or the container to open that invitation for them. Then that neutrality is really important in that space. So none of our stuff is like merging with their stuff. Like those seeds were probably planted in that, in that practice and in that pondering. Yet I, I think if I had continued in the same way I was viewing it, that would have been quite unhealthy for me, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of moving into a space with you, Gabrielle, of your invitation at the beginning to stay really on, I guess, at the edge of the aliveness of this inquiry with you. And so I have no idea now anymore what I'm going to say or digesting and processing in real time with you and my sense. The other term that I do quite like is the non-judgmental aspect, particularly so really looking at it through the therapeutic practitioner lens right now. Like for me personally, and I'm I'm trying to do what you did as well. I'm trying to think, well, how did I perceive it then and how do I perceive it now? And I really like the term resonance. Although there's a core as a healer, I still want to join with someone. I don't want to be pulled into their story or affected or, you know, I want to hold and be loving and non-judgmental to their experience. Here I start to bring in polyvagal. So that's the frame that makes sense of this for me is that I stay tethered but I journey with and I be with the experience of a person. I resonate with the experience of a person. So my, because again, it's the same thing. This is my belief that for the energy to move and the healing to happen, it needs to be met in the polyvagal safety states, survival states. You keep an anchor in the safety state. If my being and my nervous system is anchored, and maybe that's the neutrality, I don't know, but is anchored in the safety state, there's still a sense where I'm able to travel down into the other parts. People are being met in all the parts 
but there's a so tether in ventral, they call it. There's a tether in my nervous system because if they go down, so this is often the, because I've got the counselling and the talk therapy mm-hmm. aspect as well. If people go down in their nervous system and they go into a survival state, mm-hmm. pain in the body or they've got whatever, this is a bit what we were talking about before, and I stay up here mm-hmm. and there isn't a part of me that travels with them to meet them, we have the same experience of not feeling validated, not feeling met, not feeling like I make sense, you know, and I'm okay in this state. There's a coldness that can come in. There's a distance that can come in and be experienced. That's kind of how I would frame it. Well, I you've taken us, your, your invitations have taken us both into like emerging edge territory where our brains yeah, totally. are gone. I love love this stuff. This is the stuff that really excites me and nourishes me about like practicing. It's like, and my view is like, as practitioners, we should be having these conversations about this because this is the important stuff about space holding. What state are you in? When can you hold that? When can you journey with your client? Like, when is it not right for you to journey to where they're going? When, like, all that, those discussions. I feel is so important for us. So I'm really, I'm really grateful that you meeting me here. Likewise. Um, but but what's coming up for me is is so it's been twelve years of doing coaching and eight years of doing um, body work for me. And where I've landed in the last year or so is a very it's it's similar what you're saying, but very different. So my resonance is in the initial connections so, so I'll speak on just a body works perspective rather because it, mm. but it's the same for me to talk it's exactly the same there's no difference but it's easier for me to think of in phases in a body work because there's clear so the person sits there they talk that's when I'm doing the resonance yeah but then I'm almost stepping right back mm. and but and but still keeping the energy of love I call it love like love just really mm. like I'm just beaming out love I'm not really doing anything though and but then my job is is open up the portal of safety to where they need to go they do all the work but I'm just like like I just I do literally see it as hold the space I don't need to meet them I need to meet them in the beginning and the end Mm. and I need to make sure that in both of those they're regulated but in that middle bit I don't need to so much mm-hmm. and the, that regulation of the understanding in my mind happens more at that end space but in that middle space it's like that liminality or that that that, that uncertainty or that 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 even if they're in deep fear and primal and like whatever that's where they needed to go but I know I'm going to get them out the other side so I'm not scared of that so much Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't want to meet them there because if I went there with every client I wouldn't be sustainable as a practitioner Mm -hmm. even if a little bit of me met them met every client there because Mm -hmm. I have to meet myself there for my own trauma and my own shit but it's the same but there's just some subtle differences in the the where and the how and how you follow I just finished my counselling. This gave me deep value. Was a really good reminder about being person centred. Like that added so much to my perspective. That yeah, just like there's no bad questions for your clients. Like, does this resonate with you? How do you need accountability? How do you need? Do you need me to touch base with you? Do you not like simple questions? Not making assumptions. Like just clear up all the energy. That's what I've loved about counselling. But what I found a little bit worrying in terms of like how I train my practitioners is um 
that energetic of the client's always right. Mm-hmm. You're always giving over yourself. It's again that edge, hey, because that's mm-hmm. not really what they're saying, but it mm-hmm. is. And that's how it translates to people who have always been of service, who are a lot of the cohort that's going through counseling and becoming healers and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you've only been attuned that way and you haven't learned how to care for yourself, mm-hmm. then, then you're being told that you always have to listen to your and, and you don't even know who you are yet, that's a bit unhealthy for me. Mm. So, so, so that's where, for, for me, I found that that neutrality would be a better first step mm-hmm. <laughs> to then go into that. Because, yeah. yeah, this is so true for those who are more um, more more capable of self-care. Yeah. To then remember, oh, yeah, there's the, the others there. I was listening to somebody speak about the process and he was saying you know that you will come out the other end transformed also if it's a really powerful process and a true connection like our own growth is implicated in the process right that's just it is actually I mean that's my opinion anyway it's like we are the instruments for the process right our beings and so our refinement and I love that I agree with you on that it's like we'll you know, good supervision is helping me personally. And it's like, okay, lean into the places. And so thinking about that, my self-care is strong, very, very strong. It's not, I wouldn't say I meet someone in a way that pulls me out of myself. I am constantly anchored. So sometimes a client might be in the midst of their process and until I've checked in, I leave them. I do do that, particularly with trauma. In the, this is great to talk this out actually because it would change over the course of treatment with someone. So, in the beginning, with trauma, if it's really intense and stuff, I really want to be there in a sense. Like, I don't want to leave someone alone in a space that's new, old in the sense of when it got in the nervous system and into the body, but new to their awareness and potentially get re-traumatized or overwhelmed yeah Yeah. but what you're speaking to I think is the fact and here I'll get a bit woo-woo like ultimately right ultimately the process will help us to tap into the deeper sense of love inside for ourselves ultimately that's what we want for the people we work with right that that becomes something even for myself I remember being in a group And people saying to me, we're going to love you until you know how to love yourself. And so I kind of feel like in the beginning with the the trauma really present and fresh, it's like I've got the big love field here. And then I'm just going to broaden that out as yours grows, as you really start to connect more with yours and be able to bring it out. Yes, thank you. This is fantastic. What you just said about coming out as as the people have the capacity because I think that's essential in the work we do we we have to back off when it's like I mean I'm just seeing the vision of like Batman and Robin you have to know when it's time to to let Robin be Batman like I don't know (laughs) I can't remember I'm obviously not the same wrong but sometimes (laughs) it's like when's Batman gonna let Robin not be Robin (laughs) so you have to let the people grow but what I love about that is Sometimes when someone first comes and they're telling me, you know, it's such a privilege to hear 
people's dreams and their desires and and they don't even know what they're saying sometimes like what they're saying they want and you hear it and that there'll just be a moment at times where I'll be like I will completely hold that vision for you like it doesn't mean I'm going to hold it for my whole life but it's like you've you've given me your vision of what you want and like you have no idea how that will happen yet or, or even if it's possible but I totally see it for you and I will hold that I see that as love as soon as they're ready to fly with it there's so many different ways trauma's talked about so yeah what comes well just for me it comes through my experience this one lessons hard learned lessons early stages of realizing that for some people the nature of the trauma the nature of the patterning in the nervous system and their experience the resources they did or didn't have everyone's individual right and so getting that scan and for some people it is too dark a place to be to not have some real sense of someone else in the very beginning and so then it's like that's the beginning okay you were left in that space when you were young and when the things happened and it was dark and you were alone and now we're going to bring someone in you're not alone and eventually same thing still here this is as I'm talking and I'm thinking about clients and I'm thinking about stories that's on the kind of more conscious level with the meditations that I teach that's what I'm helping them do is initially that's me and then it becomes a part of themselves. What comes up for me in that is is one thing I find really worrying about some of the mainstream discussions in the personal development and coaching space is this assumption that we are isolated individual beings that just have to love ourselves and have, like, not rely on others, that if you have an emotion, you should be able to figure it out yourself and all this sort of stuff because I see, and you're right, like, and especially in that early stage, You've, so say you've just unhooked something that's so traumatic and so deep, and, and I don't even know early stage. I went, I went through, I go through it all the time, and I'll temporarily need to anchor into someone, yeah. and I do it more consciously now. Like I'm aware of who my safe spaces are, and I don't think I knew that initially. I think I was like grasping at like whoever, but now I'm very, there's certain people I know are very safe for me, and that I can safely just express that. I don't see anything wrong in us playing that role for each other. And I don't see anything wrong in relying on other people to support our healing. Yeah. For me, there's nothing, I don't know, now my brain's gone to like different presentations that people have, you know, like mental health things. Often that's because, like you were saying earlier, people are left alone with just who they are. Yeah. And so part of that healing is learning to be in relationship, even if that is relationship with a counsellor or a coach or a healer, there's still a relationship and there's still that energetic, like I, I don't know if you're comfortable with it, but I use the, the word love because for me it is, it's pure love and it's not like love like a romantic or sexual love, it's just a love like you're enough as a person, we're enough as a person because we're all, and we all are, like none of us are broken, like we're just, we're just finding our way to know that in our body. I want to share a personal story. So I want to share a bit of a, a, a story in my, it was in my early growth. And it was with a woman who was one of my early true healers that I worked with, true, true healers. And I remember that she had guided me through, I call her my little urban shaman. Because she's um, she's little, she's German, she's very, you know, you just, 
you wouldn't notice her in the street kind of thing, kind of person, you know, just like you would notice her energy though, my goodness. And she had guided me through, I don't know where I'd gone, you know, in terms of this process. And I remember coming out at the end and pausing, opening my eyes and her and I, and she just held my gaze for no joke, like five minutes or so. We didn't talk. She just eye eye contact to eye contact and pure, pure beaming love. Like that's, I got a transmission in kind of traditional spiritual language from her. And it was such an intense experience. So this is what I believe as well. It, it put something into my body and my nervous system as a map that I'd never had before. Like I didn't even know what that was prior to that. Not really, not in my lived experience. Some part of my soul and my being did, but I didn't have memory of it, of feeling like that deeply loved, as you said. And what that gave me, and this is where I believe that um, balance, right, and in nervous system language, the self-regulation, co-regulation, we cannot self-regulate unless we can also co-regulate because that's where the brain actually learns how to hold itself, learns how to have this warmth, is through the validation and being met by another nervous system, by another brain that says, I've got love here for you, ideally the parent when we're little, right? And our emotions are bigger than our tiny little bodies. It's like, I've got that container for you. That teaches us how to do that. That's, for me, you know, when you were saying, in some ways I feel like that is the role of the therapist, of whatever, or healer. I've had very similar experiences with healers. I view it healing as a transmission. I don't actually view that they're doing anything per se, mm. um, but that some part of me needs some part of them. Yeah, I love that. And, and or they've embodied something that I haven't yet embodied, and their embodiment activates my embodiment. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, because I actually had a healing session recently where where a huge trauma came up for me, mm. and and I initially went into this story of um, that the practitioner has done wrong. You know, like because that made me. It was very deep, and I, I still don't even really know what it was. But it was, it was like, it, it was a, you know different trauma. But it sort of it came up, and I went, I went into this. This shouldn't be. Like, I shouldn't be feeling unsafe, and and did it. And it, but it was such a beautiful experience because I got to know from the client perspective because I hadn't had that for a long time because I'm quite good at regulating myself now but I hadn't had that thing where I found it very difficult to regulate for quite a long time it was such a beautiful reminder of sometimes even that's the healing even the lack of regulation the fact that you can then regulate even though it takes it's not just within your hour session or whatever but but it's it's over that was a few weeks for me actually regulating Mm. this one but the insights that came through my process of having to do that was so huge and mm-hmm. profound for me. Mm-hmm. Sort of words for them. Because sometimes also as a as a whatever a therapist or a counselor or a coach or a healer, you know that your time's up. This sounds a bit harsh, right? But the time's done and you know that someone's going out without fully being regular. You know that. Mm-hmm. And there's actually very little you can do 
I think you got different people at different stages of capacity and on their healing journey. And for you, I mean, I love how you described it. It's like, oh, your little protective bits came in, you know, as well. Like very understandable. Like you hurt me and you did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault. No, I'm welcoming it. I'm loving it. I do think I'm, I'm sitting with your with what you've said there because I my my gut instinct is to say, mm, but generally speaking. I'm not a fan of, you know, I do like to try and have some kind of anchor for somebody, you know, no magic. Totally, this, no, no, totally. Me too, yeah. too. But yeah. like, I think what I was saying is more, so, and I'm more speaking from when I began, every time someone would get into that state where they were unanchored, I would go, I have to go do another training because I left them unanchored. So I was like constantly... And then I would go into these spaces where basically they're saying someone will never be unanchored. If you're a good practitioner, someone will never be unanchored. That's completely untrue. Got it, yes. And, and I think, I do think, like, um, I do think we, oh, my God, I so believe in continuing professional yeah. development. Like, like we, I don't, I think I'll be studying for the rest of my life. But <laughs> <honestly, laughs> I don't believe in that there is one answer for trauma. I don't believe that. Nice, yes. I'm with you actually because I went to um, such a, yes, I totally agree because I was a beautiful, I went to a trauma, um, do you know, did you do um, acceptance and commitment therapy a little bit? So I watched a video with Russ Harris, the big proponent of it here in Australia, working with a PTSD with a um veteran or an actor that was playing a veteran and it was a really interesting discussion around what you're saying because even like at the end of somatic experience which is like total gentleness you just touch on it you come out you touch on it you don't stay you don't have to stay there for too long you don't even have to go there at all or remember anything or da -da -da -da. and then the act process that we were watching was very much guiding this person back into it you know really into it and then there was a group discussion it was all psychologists and therapists talking about well I wouldn't I wouldn't push that hard and I you know da, 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 I would do it this way and I would do it that way so I think you're right and I think ultimately like we're doing the best we can but there is a mystery in this right there is a and if you think about what you were saying of like okay we are one showing up to be the best we can holding space the best we can holding the love drawing in the whatever cosmic love strong values sense of safety and space and then it's got it's just got to allow right like you were saying it's like this person's journey will unfold as it does you know you're not in control of it i think that's the thing the mistake that we can fall into easily and it's a good reminder like that we are responsible or in control for that person's ultimate journey not that we shouldn't be responsible practitioners absolutely but it's not our ultimate we are not ultimately responsible or in control to the mystery of healing I think that's a really beautiful reflection but we're also getting the piece of them that comes to therapy 
<laughs> yes, that's a very good point. <laughs> so, so that so they're aware they've got all this other aspect of their life and all these other relationships. Mm-hmm. The piece that decides to arrive there. There's mm-hmm. a specific piece that's coming for healing. So if we have this perception that that is all of them and all their resources and everything, we're actually we're actually trapping them and the, we're not holding the vision with love and the actual who they are. Yeah, I think that's such a great point Gabrielle then I think that in the wider cultural conversation there's all the little we're talking about a lot about pitfalls and traps of this aren't we (laughs) well just to bounce off what you're saying I think this is what I see in the cultural conversation around mental health that I feel like and why again so bringing it right back around to the beginning of the conversation and why I'm still a proponent for resilience because what you said there to to me speaks to the resources that help people have resilience in life, right? The wider resources of their existence and their connections and all they're all like what are my physical, emotional, spiritual, community, financial resources that build who I am. And I think that when there's been trauma and there's been suffering and then there's this need in the beginning to have that part acknowledged and validated, very important stage of the process and the healing journey, there's a risk that I feel like the psychologization of our cultural conversations has brought in of staying identified with the wounded aspect. Mm-hmm. That's me rather than that's a part of me. I, f- I found that with my own journey with them. Um... When I first started my healing, I was quite involved with sexual abuse advocacy. Or like even even if I think about like I don't I'm still pro woman everything, but I was also really involved in like women's advocacy and all this stuff. And that was because and there was a sense of like, we have to fight for this and it's this has happened to and it wasn't even that. I think it was more just getting the shame out. But now I barely even talk about it. It's not, if it if it arises as part of a teaching moment or if I can be like with it, you know, meet a person in resonance and be like, I really understand that experience. I completely understand it. But if I had stayed in that sense of having to fight for my place in the world and not moved beyond that, who would I be? Mm-hmm. If that's the energetic that's always patterned. Yeah, but I'm, I'm actually, I've got some um, really beautiful convos scheduled with people who are working in the mental health space as well for, and people who have been um, diagnosed to, mm. to understand from their perspective how it has or hasn't helped them because that's something I've really pondered on because when I listen to people talking to their experience, it's quite often just so similar to mine, mm. yet they've had a label placed on it. I'll, I'll throw out some ideas and see if this, because I think, there's a few things going on. One is that, okay, it's a thing. So there's like a validation of I have this thing. Two, there's an externalization. It's a thing that I have. It's not who I am. Then there's also a legitimacy if it's connected to the diagnostic medicalized version of our world because we're trained to see that as more legitimate right now. Right? So I think this is this has been my own experience. Again, in all of those things, there's the same trap that you then become identified, even though it was used to externalize away from you, you become identified and you can almost 
worship your weakness, you know, your weaknesses or your, it's like, yes, absolutely. We want to accommodate each other in differences and difficulties. And But if you're constantly just relating to that part, then you are not feeling your strength and your wholeness and all of what is possible for you, right? That woman that I described, the healer, I love her approach to it because she actually is a clinical psychologist and yet she holds the diagnosis. She has the most beautiful language. It's like, well, let's use it as a frame for what might be helpful in terms of the tendencies that I have, but maybe I don't need to limit myself in psychological ways and sometimes real world ways of your health insurance or how you might go about jobs or different things you know I got why it was helpful from for me I got a kind of depression diagnosis when I was about 19 and that was really helpful in this sense of like oh I I legitimately have a thing (laughs) people have told me no no you just get over it okay I have this thing so now I you know people can't argue with me as much I do have this thing And that was really validating, but you can't, in my opinion anyway, get stuck in continuing to need to validate that part all the time and you you won't grow. I just want to be really transparent and vulnerable and open and just I really enjoyed the process with you, Gabrielle, because I noticed you, you kind of issued multiple invitations in that way and it took me a while to kind of understand and step into deep, deep organic conversation here that I would have with you know off screen or off recording with other people like yourself but to really try to deeply drop into that and not come from my finished and polished bits of thoughts and expertise you know that I've thought about a lot I I like I've been playing with this phrase lately and I think this is the entrepreneurial journey and the creator journey and the grower journey which is we're constantly on the emerging edge and I feel like you've really honoured that in the way that you're doing this. Like, let's bring the emerging edge into the conversation. Let's have a conversation from there, which has been delightful. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's the stuff that excites me and makes me want to be in this field. Is there anything you um, yeah, would want to share at all that coming forth for you for, for those who will be listening? I just hope it's helpful. I hope, you know, that's my sincere experience in doing the work is that sharing my own journey, sharing what I've gained from the privilege of supporting other people on their journeys will also help others. And I guess if, you know, in terms of speaking from my heart to these potential people that are listening and resonating with what you and I are saying, my heart always just says to people, keep going. That's it. It's a really simple message. Yeah. (laughs) So beautiful. Hmm. Well, that feels like a beautiful place for us to close. Thank you so much, Mira. I really, oh, that makes me want to cry. Likewise. Thank you.